Welcome to Conquering Dreams with the legendary motivational speaker, C.B. Baker. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here's C.B. Baker. Thank you for joining Conquering Dreams, everyone. This is your host, C.B. Baker here. I've got a really good show uh, today for you. I've got the man that's behind the scenes for a lot of championship teams and a lot of players that played in the NFL and big-time college football. As everyone knows, I played college football at the University of Oklahoma, and and I got a real funny story to tell after I introduce my guest. His name is Coach Joe Jurassic. Welcome to the show, Coach. Thank you for having me, CB. I'm so intrigued about this story you got me led up to. <laughs> Yeah, so basically what happened, um, a lot of people don't know, but when you sign and you commit to a um, to a college, the first contact you really have with the school is the strength and conditioning coach. You, I got this letter in the mail stating this is what type of workout we want you to do during your spring um, time in your school while you're graduating. So I got this letter, and in the letter it says, we want you to run. 10 100-yard spreads timed at 20 seconds every day, Monday through Friday. So I said, okay, I'll be able to do that. So while everybody else was running track, you know, I threw shot put, but after I got through throwing shot put, I would run and do my sprints because I said, I want to make sure I'm in shape for when I go to Oklahoma. And everybody was like, why are you doing that? CB, I was like, well, you know, I got to play against Nebraska, you know, next year. It's not, I'm not playing against Tomball High School. I'm going against Nebraska, these big guys. So I got to make sure I'm in shape. So I, I get down to the fact where I'm running this 10 hundreds, no, no problems. So Coach Blake, who was a head coach at the time, you know, convinces me to come up for summer school and to spend some time up there during the summer. So I say, okay, great, no big deal. I'll go on up there. So I get there, I get nestled in the, the dorm room, and, and they say the workouts are 7 a.m., 3.30, 5.30, and 7 p.m. So I said, well, it's, it's too hot at 3 o'clock. I'm going to go at the 5.31. So I sit around all day. I'm thinking I'm in shape. Not eat, you know, Popeye's chicken, hot dogs throughout <laughs> the day. No big deal. So I step up and Coach Joe Jurassic says, he, he, he greets me, he said, welcome to Oklahoma. So how you doing, Coach? I'm a little nervous at the time, but at the back of my head, I've been running this 10 hundreds. I got this down. So Coach lines everybody up on the line. I'm up there with these upperclassmen. I'm already nervous. He goes, okay, uh, players, today we got 22 hundreds. And I'm looking around like 22. The sheet of paper only said 10. So I was like, well, I can't just not do it. So I didn't say nothing. So we get through running. So, I, you know, I, this is the first time in my life, Coach, that I realized that I could do something that I didn't think I could do. So that's the first lesson I learned at Oklahoma. But now it keeps going. So we get through with these 2200s, and I'm over there on this goalpost on the verge of just vomiting. And I'm sitting there. I said, I'm so I'm thanking God because you find Jesus real quick when you're running um, in the heat when you when you're out of shape. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Charlie Charlie Bigger said you either find Jesus or the devil, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting there, 
And then um, Blair, the, your assistant coach, comes over, taps me on the shoulder, says, CB, get up. We got to go do agility drills. I said, we got to do what? We got more? And Coach Joe, you're sitting over there. You got the the, um, the little yellow hurdles out and everything. And the rest of the upperclassmen are standing there like, okay, we're ready to go. I'm done. I'm like, I'm done. This is it. I'm ready to go back to the room and lay in the bed. So I do those agility drills. And I'm sitting there like, I can't believe I'm doing this. So we get back. It's over with. You say you high five me and everything. You say, I'll see you tomorrow for a weight workout. I'm like, oh, wow. So I go back to the room. Now, this is the part that nobody even knew what happened. I go back to the dorm room. I sit in the chair. I do not move for two hours. That's how tired I am. <laughs> so I said, well, I've got to get up to go eat. When I got up, coach, I had a total body lockdown from the waist down. All my muscles locked cramped up, it. cramped up. <laughs> and I didn't know what this first time has ever happened. So I sit there and the people that know if you played sports, if you had a Charlie horse, what I mean by a total body lockup is your both hamstrings are locked up, cramped, and your quads are cramped. So I had to no, you're 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 on the phase two. Uh, uh, um, oh, what's that called? Uh, when people get you're locking up, it's, it's a pain you can't describe like you're describing it. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. It's it's unbelievable. Seizure. It's like a seizure. Yeah. Yeah. A physical seizure. But that you know, I found the strength to go ahead and, and I was able to stretch out my both hamstrings with my quads locked up. And you know, this is how painful that was. So and the whole point of me telling this story, coach, is that was the first time that I realized that I could do anything that I'll put my mind to. And sure. and I and I always go in, in life, coach, I always go back and I look at things. If I'm doing something that's hard, I go back to that moment and I say, Coach Joe knew I could do it. Blair knew I could do it. So I, I know I could get through this. Is this nowhere near as tough as it was that day at Oklahoma where it was 92 degrees outside and I was only prepared to run 10 100s, but I did 22 100s and did another 30 minutes of agility drills on top of that. You learned how to unlimit your mind. That's right. So, and then what's good is, like you said, that carries over to other endeavors. You know, I had three, three characteristics that for all the years, 30 plus years I coached, I utilized, and I think you could utilize them. I've heard them said in different ways for success. Characteristics, first and foremost, is consistency. If you have a job, if you're going to school, if you're trying to be an athlete, whatever endeavor it is, you need to be consistent with the plan that you have in fourth. Second is intensity, which means that as you're consistent, you work hard. But second to that, CB goes, with the intensity, you have to do it the proper way. Show up mentally prepared to do the work, do the work hard, do it right. And third is the hardest part is patience. It, you know, you don't you don't create situations in a day with a human being, and you don't fix situations in a day. It's over a longer period of time. There's a, there's a, and I'll probably make you uh, chuckle a little bit. I know you heard in in football forever 
injury in six to eight weeks, six to eight weeks. Right, that's right. And I'd always say, why is that such a staple? And in turn, then the mental breakdown of that of that barrier broke down, and we had people getting healthy a lot quicker than that. Right. Especially if you like for a sprained knee, the first, they always say it's four weeks, like off mm-hmm. top. You know, when and, uh, Kevin Durant got hurt on that on the play a couple weeks ago, the first thing they said was four weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and I've had a, a grade one uh, MCL sprain, and and it, you know, it's every bit for me. It was every bit four weeks. I felt like when I came back, I came back too soon, but I was still able to play. But this is football, mm-hmm. and not basketball where you actually got to lift off the ground and, you know, and, and do a lot of jumping. You know, I was playing offensive line and want too much jumping. So, yeah, but that contact every play, that's the thing that they, that even you guys, the players minimize those speed guys on the edge, you know, they're doing their thing. And the guys in the backfield are dancing around that those guys in the box, they're fighting and battling every play, right? Every single play. And, you know, that's, you see the upper body punch and the knee bend and the hips. But that jolt and that energy and that strength from that body goes from toes to his head. It does. And, you know, one thing that was interesting, then, you know, the piggyback on the story I told, the very next day, you, you sat me down in the weight room and you said, well, CB, how much did you work out with in, in, in high school? I said, well, you know, I've been stressed uh, – 250 pounds, you know, reps of eight, you know, five, six to eight times. So you said, okay. I said, well, I'm going to start you off light. We're going to do 185 of reps of 15. I said, 185, coach, this is real light. It's like just reps of 15, but we had to do four sets of those. And I never forgot, we got to like the third set and I couldn't even lift the bar anymore. And you looked at me and said, CB, it's not how hard you can punch. It's how many times you can punch over a course of a game and have the same strength. We got to build a good foundation first, and then we'll be able to build everything else. And the, the talk about our how mentorships work. You was mentoring me at the age of 18 not necessarily on how to play football or how to train. You was mentoring me on how to approach life and to get ready for the next stage of my life. And the, and a lot of people don't understand that these kids that's going to play college football, the first contact they're going to have is with the strength and conditioning coach. And I think it's imperative in your program. And I have success with many different head coaches. I, uh, quote, they said, I survived transitions of head coaches. My first conversation, if I was blessed with the opportunity to stay and work with a coach, would be, what are your philosophies and what do you want done in my area, coach? I'm an asset for you and your team, but I'm here to do it your way, what you want. Right. And, you know, that's what I got from the team concept. I didn't want nobody else's business, but I didn't want nobody in my business. But I'd sit in meetings and listen to coaches and listen, and I'd sit and watch them coach on the field. And then I would adapt and change my drills and movement and workouts to say it's just like Coach did on the field. It's just like Coach Dickinson did. It's like Coach Blake was saying 
it's not – and I, even when I went to the NFL, Mike Zimmer would always tell me when I was at Dallas with him, he'd say, you're not running the same movements the DBs move. I said, coach, no, I'm not. I never, I never want to confuse the guys. What I'm doing are movements that are similar that can transition over when you coach your technique and what you want them to do on certain plays and calls and reactions. Right. So it's all about, you know, it, we got a great compliment because – uh, we had an 85 reunion, I guess it was two years ago now, or a year and a half, and Pete and Blair and I were up here, and we went and saw the guys. And Later in the day, you know, Pete always let us have a lot of freedom. I just obviously played with him. It was in his hip pocket forever. But Blair said, why did you give us so much freedom and let us, you know, we were running, running groups and letting us do those things. He goes, you know what? Because you guys cared about the players. I knew things were going to be done right. And to me, that's the biggest compliment I could get from my mentor in strength and conditioning. Tell me some of your success stories that you've had with being a mentor yourself and being a mentee. Well, it, it started young because I got into the athletics on the south side of Chicago. Nobody graduated from high school in my family. I was always told nobody goes to school and you can't afford it. Well, I was seven or eight years old, and the kid down the block, Tommy Walsh, got a scholarship to Michigan State for basketball and hoops, pretty good athlete. Well, I'd go down and say, Tom, what's a scholarship? And he explains, you know, if you're athletically inclined and good in school, and people think you can do some things, you get an athletic scholarship, and they pay for your college. You know, I had to clarify once again. So if you're good at a sport, and you can do things and fit in, you know, and just a team concept of it, I learned from him that day. Tragically, he never made it to Michigan State. They were throwing football in the street summer before he left and uh, caught a football and then Tina went into his eye and killed him instantly. Oh, wow. But that was, that was a mentor I never knew until later on because he was the one that explained there's a whole different lifestyle in, you know, I don't want to say way out of the neighborhood, but there's a different path. And then all along the way, even uh, public school gym teacher, we called PE gym back in the day, they took, you know, pride in working with us. And he was a mentor. Uh, I actually grew up with a guy named Steve Prasison who played basketball both at Iowa and North Carolina. He was one of the few guys to start in the Final Four for two. We had him and then high school coaches. And I think they recognized, you know, part of the thing, CB, I was staying at the weight room till it closed. Right, and they would ask me, "Don't, don't you, don't you, why don't you go home?" I said, "Well, I want to work out." Really, what I was doing is giving me time away from there because there was nothing good happening there. Right. So I did, I did it in the weight room, and you know they kind of knew what was going on, and you know it wasn't awful, but I was working at the time. I always earned some money, and you know I had mentors on that paper out when I was a young teenage kid. People telling me about work ethic and working hard. So I learned a lot of things from those people. And like I said, retrospectively, I look back at it and see. I had a coach. I was about to quit football. I was fed up with it. I'd walked the perfect line, didn't get the choices for four years. I was about to wig out. We changed coaches. This guy's knocking on my door at 430 in the afternoon telling me we're going to get registered for class and you're going to play this last season. Well, his name was Tom Cruise, a tight ends coach with Coach Morrison. 
got me into my final two semesters of classes. Uh, I ended up starting. We had some success and played. And to this day, we communicate the same way. Now, as right. soon as we did that, he made me move him into his new house. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, sometimes there's the little things that go along with it, but that's just a little thing. I think that's part of the bonding. And that's what I was going to say earlier, CB. Some of the things you t- talk about is Blair brought the term to me one time. He called it sweat equity. When people work together and sweat and, and grind and do it for a common goal, right. you develop a bond with people, you know, both on the winning side and maybe the not so successful side. So what are some of the biggest obstacles at being a mentee and being able to be receptive to advice and leadership and guidance? They, and I could use the old example. And when we get done here, I'd like you to call my children. When we were growing up, when the kids were growing up, we were at dinner one day and my brother, my son had been to Smitty's camp and, uh, up at the football camp here and we're sitting at the dinner table and he goes, dad, you know, next year I want to go to a, tr- a camp that has a really good strength and conditioning coach. I'm like, huh? What, what do you think I do? <laughs> what do you think coach Smitty is? All right. But you know, your kids, you know, you could tell them all day long. Somebody else comes along. You say it's blue. They, they deny it. Right. But someone else tells them it's, you know, that's blue. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You just found that out. What are some of the similarities in coaching and mentoring? Talking about mentoring and coaching, I kind of put that all together because some of those characteristics I talked about earlier that I think deem or put you on the road to success can be used in any facet of life. You can be a teacher. You can be a parent. You can be, you know, no, no matter who you're showing or sharing with, the thing about a mentor, they're a selfless person because they're willing to share. Right. You know, we learn to, we learn the classroom. Uh, a lot of times we learn in the classroom what becomes our career. You learn the little idiosyncrasies and things that go along as you get uh, experience and keep your ears open, like you said, absorb. So I've been blessed to be surrounded by some of the smartest people that will ever be involved in strength and conditioning. Coach Switzer taught us that years ago. Don't be afraid to have coaches that are smart and intelligent. And, you know, some people are threatened by them. Yeah. Coach Switzer told me to embrace them because you're going to help each other. You're going to learn from them. They're going to learn from you. And the circle of confidence grows and everybody gets smarter and better. It's a selfless type situation. You know, Coach, one of the biggest things that I see, the benefits of mentoring people is being able to see that breakthrough. So please uh, give the audience what's it like to see a player uh, get that breakthrough. When that, when that event happens, yes. when, when, you're, when you can experience those successes, I most of the time it was doing some movement or doing some activity. And when I, I get goosebumps saying about it, I usually act pretty much a fool when that happens <laughs> because it's something that happens a, a while. I have a, a guy specifically when I was in Lubbock at Texas Tech. He was a great hard worker, but you know how some of those guys, CBs, relax. They, they'd buy me T-shirts with relax on it. Right. Now, relax don't mean slower. <laughs> relax means fluid. Right. So I work with this guy, and we're back out on the track running them deuces and threes. 
and it's two and a half years into his into his uh, career, and all of a sudden we're doing a seven thirty morning group, and I'm out there acting the fool. You got it, you got it. That's it. It took us long enough. You finally got it. And the other guys knew what I was talking about. Right. You know, something that was unbelievable. And you get those moments, and that's where, you know, you never win enough games. Uh, Dwayne Chandler was with me. You remember Dwayne? Yeah. Yep. Fullback here for Coach Schnellenberger. Yep. Blew his knee out. The only thing holding his knee on was the skin. Well, I was rehabbing a knee, and he was rehabbing a knee, so we kind of worked together. And the plan with the staff and the trainers was, let's help Dwayne walk for the rest of his life, period. Well, he had a whole lot more behind him there. He said, I'm playing again. Long story short, we worked each other, you know, the Piccolo Sayers type shit. I'm sorry, excuse me. <laughs> and, uh, well, I mean, you know, we locked in and became closer. He babysat my kids. He got an opportunity in Dallas. He started the next year, 11 games after coming off that leg. He's a strength and conditioning coach now. I mean, if we ever would have thought, I don't know if you remember when we used to wrestle oh, yeah. on Fridays, yeah. on walk-through Fridays when Dwayne and I would wrestle. Yep. And everybody would tell us to stop. You know, somebody going to get hurt. I'm like, nobody's going to get hurt. But they were worried about it. I couldn't get him to stop competing with me. <laughs> I'm like, I, I have to walk all the way on the other side of the field. He said, I'll just come the other way. I'm going to take you down. You know? So those are the things that grow. That's a lot of the things, too, I talk about. You know, I was here in a time when everything flourished, and I was here in a time when things were a little difficult. And I think if the people would realize that the, the people and athletes that got cheated in that era due to poor administration have come out of it, and so many of you guys are successful, successful at what you're doing now in life. Right. Yeah. I was <laughs> – I, I came back to move in Norman. I look up to somebody who worked my air conditioner, uh, heating, electricity. Tracy Gordon's got a business. Wow. Tracy Gordon came over. It's, it's just so fun. You know, I walk in the bank and see Anthony Stafford. Or It's just good to see people, good people doing good things. You hear enough of the bad stuff. Yeah. And, and it seems like that's all you hear about nowadays. All people want to focus on is the athletes that – you know, that was big time and then, you know, they get in trouble dealing with drugs or hanging around the wrong crowds. But you don't really get to hear about the, the, the success stories, you know. You know, the true success stories are people that really don't want it out there. They're just doing it because they really mean it, kindness of their heart, and they don't need to be boasting about it. Right. Some people, some people are out there boasting about things that you're not too sure about. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Coach. Promoting. Promoting. Yeah. That, that's, you know, the, that's the carrot. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That, that's what that's what I was going to say was that's some of the things that um, I have a, another guy that I work with named Coach Atcher. He tells me, see, you got to go out there and tell these people what you're doing and, and where you came from and, and, you know, who you was playing with and who was your coaches. And I was like, well, Coach, that's just not how we do things. And we don't walk around, you know, wearing, you know, wearing the stuff on our sleeve, like even I played Oklahoma or I did this and did that. It's really hard to uh, do that when you lived it, you know, when you lived it and, 
and I have people that are so uh, fanatics over like this, just buying jerseys for um, football teams. And for the longest, I wouldn't buy a jersey because I felt like if I couldn't wear an NFL jersey and earn it, why should I go buy one with somebody else's name on the back of it? You know, yeah. You know, when when I'm wow. watching Roy Williams. You know, uh, it, with the Cowboys at the time, you know his jersey was selling everywhere in Houston. You know, so it was. Yeah. It's just a. It's just a mindset that people. You know, I don't know if other former players have it, but I know I did. No, I, I'm totally with you because there are people that wanted to work that were intelligent and good at strength and conditioning. I asked them where you worked before. You know, I worked at a gym here. Worked here. I'm saying I'm, this is serious now because you know once we got going, we were rocking the room. Right. And besides getting productivity out of our players rocking the room, if you do it wrong, it can be dangerous. I always thought it's a room that you can get benefits in. That's why when the guys want to start pushing on each other, I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, go out to the grass. Right. You don't want to fight in a weight room because that equipment is unforgiving. <laughs> it sure is. And there, you know, there have been, uh, and then I bring people in, and the, it, it would, it could be OU. And you got grad students that want to run with us. I'm going. This is a Division One football team. You're going to run with us? Yeah, I can do it. I'm going. To, I'm sure you can probably do it, but I recommend you don't. They do it anyway. They're puking. They can't go halfway through it. Right. They 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 watch TV and they get this false sense of I can do that. Right. So let's uh, focus. Uh, change focus gears a little bit to the the great Dallas Cowboys. Cause I know when I was at Oklahoma, coach Blake, he had just came over from the Dallas Cowboys. So it's like the Oklahoma Sooners and the Dallas Cowboys was literally, it felt like we was integrated. You know, it was like interchangeable, right? It was like everybody just, it just fit, especially when we played, you know, against Texas and we was in Dallas and the Cowboys would come over to, to the team and everything. It was just great. Mm-hmm. So um, what's some of the good memories you have of, being a strength and conditioning coach with the Cowboys? Well, the first time, you know, I was nervous as heck. I was, uh, you know, sad. I'm, I was always sad to leave where I left because I had developed so many relationships with athletes. But uh, going on, I was nervous and barely sleeping. And, you know, one of my mentors in football and life was Spike Dykes. I played for him when I was in college. I worked for him for six years when he was the head coach at Texas Tech. So I gave him a shout, and he said, you're in the weight room? Because it was Sunday, and I had Monday workouts. I said, yes, sir, I'm in the weight room. He goes, how long is that field out there? I said, it's 100 yards. And I said, he said, you probably got your leg up on a bench looking out the window. I said, yes, sir. Saying that bar weighs 45 pounds. He said, that's about the same as it weighed everywhere you've been, and that field's the same size, so just do what you do. And that gave me a lot of confidence. And then the, the second part, two, two and a half weeks after I first started, I went to my first combine. Well, over my collegiate career, I developed great relationships with the scouts, treated them with respect, let them have the information, the, the, the true and information they needed about players, and uh, benefited them the best they could and benefited our players the best we could. Well, I start my first, I'm walking around like a rookie, which I was. 37 years old, uh, and uh, the old gray hair scouts, they call them the silver hair crew. They sit and eat breakfast every morning. I was up early with them. I sit in the table. They're like, Joe, get over here. And to hear a bunch of older men that had played in the league and 
unbelievable. I mean, just the stories that I heard from the guys that were the scouts. But they kind of said, Joe, we've watched you work all those years. Just do what you're doing, and you're going to be fine. So it gave me a bit of relief where you get some of those old guys that just step in and kind of give you a, a stamp of confidence. Right. So now everybody talks about the difference in the athletic ability between high school and college and the, then the you know, difference between college and professional. But not necessarily so much the athletic ability, but also how players are treated and how things are done. What would you say is the biggest obstacle for the, the new guys that's going to, you know, training right now for the, you know, going through stuff and getting ready for the draft? What is the biggest obstacle for them to, to get overcome entering into going from the NFL, you know, college football into the NFL? They have this false sense that it's easier because rest is such an important factor with an NFL team. And it sounds like, you know, from the outset, well, we're resting today. We have an off day. Well, off day means people are getting massages. They're using techniques and things to help their body recover. They're doing light workouts. And they have this sense that it's easier to do at this level. And each transition you make from high school to college and college to pro, you've got to make this transition. And the first thing, it's going to sound like common sense to you if you never thought about it. It's harder on the guys in the box because of the physical strength difference. Right. An 18-year-old freshman and an 18-year-old high school senior have played against different people and worked against different people. They might bench the same and squat the same, but there's that, that uh, what we used to call man strength. Now they call it practical strength or you know, just utilizing your strength. Because right. you know guys that could bench 400 and couldn't bust a grade. Yeah. There's probably some cats in there can't do 185, knock the head off. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of that testing, what goes on, sometimes gets lost, and that's where you get the numbers, and they call it the underwear games in the, in the uh, combine now. <laughs> yeah. People are training for that. I mean, I trained uh, back in the day, one of the first guys that uh, – ever did it with Cedric Jones. Right. He asked me to help him. We choreographed, like I choreographed with guys in the past, and he has some of the best numbers ever. Now, his situation was that he was hurt and had a problem with his bone marrow, and they didn't find it. But he was one of the guys that stepped out there pretty good. Coach, at the end of the day, um, what motivates you? The, the, the one part, CB, I'll tell you, that kind of wraps it all up for me. You never win enough games. I was gifted to win some rings and do some sweat equity with some champions and great people. The full circle comes now for me when my former athletes are asking me to train their children. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think if you go through life as an athlete and everybody goes through what they go through, and you come back and say, Coach Joe, I'd like you to show my son or my daughter or my whoever what to do. That's a compliment to me that I, you know, priceless. Thank you so much, Coach Joe Durasa, for joining us. One final thought before we end the show. CB, if we get one person to benefit from it, we're winning. 